you grab your Bible and go to uh, Revelation 8. Um, if you are new this morning, uh, welcome. We're jumping into the middle of the book of Revelation. Um, just uh, if you need a refresher or if you're new this morning, I'd love to help you get acquainted with what we've been going through in the book. Uh, just notice on, I normally have pretty drawings on the board, but uh, it's been a long morning. So anyways, um, Revelation, the book of Revelation is very, uh, it's a very sophisticated book. Um, it's structured in a really particular way. Uh, it, it bounces between visions that John has and this series of sevens, uh, sixes or sevens. So Revelation 1 is a vision of Jesus. He tells John that he's going to reveal to him the things that are and things that are going to happen after this. Revelation 2 and 3, we see seven letters to seven real historical churches. Revelation 4 and 5, we see uh, visions of the throne room of God. Revelation 6, we have six seals. Revelation 7, we see a vision of the church. That was last week. The church is safe. The church is secured. And then in Revelation 8 and 9, which is what we're doing today, we will see seven trumpets. And uh, the reason this structure is so important is that uh, I think uh, everything that's in groups of sevens typically represent historical realities, things that either have happened or are going to happen. And these visions are meant to help us interpret them and help us to understand what's going on. So that's just kind of where we are in the book. Um, we are about to start uh, hearing Revelation's teaching on what I believe is this final period of human history. Um, where things get a little bit crazy before Jesus returns. Uh, before we jump into this very intense and pretty difficult passage, uh, I want to just uh, say again, we said this a lot in Revelation, that it's really important to have the Old Testament in your mind when you're reading the book of Revelation. Um, last week we saw uh, Numbers 1, way back in the Old Testament, show up in Revelation 7. But this week... Uh, we're going to see these uh, six trumpets blown, and lots of crazy and terrible things are going to happen when the trumpets are blown. Uh, one thing that's very important to remember is that uh, these trumpets are modeled after the plagues of Egypt in the book of Exodus. So uh, if you are not familiar with the story, uh, most, most people are. We even have movies. You guys have probably seen the great animated film, The Prince of Egypt. Who actually has seen that movie? Okay, all right, good, good, yeah, 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 yeah. So think Prince of Egypt, okay? They, they took some artistic, uh, artistic uh, whatever in there. But, um, but in, in the book of Exodus, God's people are oppressed and enslaved by Pharaoh. Uh, they are groaning in Exodus 1. He hears their cry. He sends Moses, and Moses uh, delivers them by bringing a series of horrific plagues upon Egypt. Um, and what we're going to see in uh, these six trumpets is that they are like Exodus 2.0. They are a bigger, more worldwide version of Exodus, but they are really the same thing. Maybe you guys, what's the newest iPhone? The XS, is that what we're up to? Okay, X, like, like XS, you know, too much, just kidding. Uh, the iPhone XS is a really, uh, it's something gigantic and huge and amazing, uh, but at its essential nature, it's basically the same thing as that clunky old iPhone that came out when we were all in middle school, right? Uh, it's just updated and new and great. And I think uh, the idea of these trumpets is that they are just a new, uh, updated, uh, bigger exodus, okay? So um, as we read, and as all sorts of crazy things happen 
in these two chapters, I would like you guys to be thinking of Exodus. We're going to see here that God both answers his people's prayers and he warns a rebellious world of his coming judgment through these trumpets. So let's read Revelation 8 and 9 all the way to the end. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, which means bitterness. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the waters because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth! at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft it rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. The noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses running into battle. They have tails and, sti that, and sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon, which means destroyer. First woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. 
And the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the day and the hour and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode on them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them they wound rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor do they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual moralities or their thefts let's pray Lord uh, as the scriptures tell us, uh, you are a consuming fire. And I just pray uh, this morning uh, that you would give us eyes to see um, and, and, Lord, just to agree with you uh, that this passage is okay and that what you are going to do uh, for your people and... Uh, to warn uh, the wicked is okay. I just, just plead for our hearts to humbly uh, and in all of you to receive what this passage says. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So C.S. Lewis, always uh, eminently quotable, has famously said that pain is God's megaphone. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's a great quote. Uh, it's a fantastic observation about life, too. On our great days when we're, life is peachy and we're enjoying good things, we can, we can see God in small ways. When we wake up uh, feeling like death, uh, God is reminding us that we need him. We all know here that when we get what we want, we might seek God, but when we are really struggling, we're much more likely to seek him. In fact, some of you here ha might have prayed things like, Lord, please help me grow, or Lord Jesus, please draw me near to you. Uh, and you imagine that this will happen in this kind of uh, happy, easy way. You'll just kind of wake up one day close to Jesus, and then the next thing you know, you have an injury that lasts for a year, or you're sick, or you get broken up with, or lose your job, and you're a month in, and you realize this was the answer to my prayer. What's happened? You asked for a whisper, and you got the megaphone. Um, that's the thing. Pain is God's megaphone. Might sound pretty, like might be like really quotable, but uh, it certainly does not feel pretty. Pain is pain. Having a megaphone blown in your ear might even hurt you. God loves us enough that he's willing to hurt us for our good, and. These, uh, these six trumpets that we see in Revelation 8 and 9 
these, what I believe are future historical events coming in the days before Jesus' return, are megaphones to a world that has rejected him. They are sounding out that God loves and vindicates and fights for his people who have been oppressed and persecuted, and they are a last warning to a rebellious world on the way to judgment. So let's, uh, let's see these six trumpets as answered prayers and as dreadful warnings. Look, uh, let's look first in verses 2 to 5. So just notice uh, in, chapter, in chapter 8, verse 1, the Lamb opens the seventh seal. This goes all the way back to chapter 5. God has this scroll with seven seals on it. The scroll represents the end, things that are going to happen when Jesus returns, okay? And we've now opened the seventh seal. So we're now in this very, very last stage of human history before the end, okay? Uh, if you if that confuses you, we've got lots of lessons posted online about Revelation that you can uh, look at and hear more about, okay? But once that happens, all right, we've got seven angels given seven trumpets. We'll see them blow them in a minute. But there's this little scene in verses 3 to 5 that's very confusing, uh, but very helpful for us to understand. So uh, notice uh, in verse 3, an angel comes and he stands at the altar. So John is in God's heavenly throne room, right? God's on his throne. And we learn back in chapter 6 that there's an altar there. So just go to uh, chapter 6, verse 9, all right? Again, uh, it's going to be confusing, and then I think it's going to help us, all right? So uh, chapter 6, verse 9, the Lamb opens the fifth seal, and there's an altar there, all right? An altar in God's presence. And under this altar are the souls of those Christians who had been slain or killed for the word of God and the witness they had borne. And hear hear what they say in glory. They cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? All right, and then uh, they're told to rest a little bit longer in that seal. Well, here we're back at the altar, okay? We're back there. And um, uh, if if you're wondering what an altar looked like back in the day, Okay, an altar was kind of like a giant grill, not to be like sacrilegious, but it was a giant grill. There were bars on it, okay, a giant fire underneath, and when uh, priests would make offerings, they would put meat or something like that on the fire. The chief difference between a grill and an altar is the point of an altar was to burn the whole thing up. The fire was much hotter. Um, Sometimes, as commanded in Old Testament law, uh, priests would offer the uh, sacrifices with incense. There was this kind of spice blend that God ordained to be offered, uh, so there would be this sweet smell as these sacrifices were made to God. Uh, Just notice in the heavenly altar, okay, in uh, verse 3, there's this angel given a lot of incense to offer with the prayers of the saints, those prayers for justice back in chapter 6. And these prayers of the saints in verse 4 rose before God. So the idea here in this kind of strange language, all right, if I've, if I've lost you in all that, okay, the idea here is those cries for justice from God's people, those cries for God to avenge their blood, for God to vindicate them, right, now they are going to be answered. That's the idea. Um, and we see how they're answered in verse 5. The angel takes the censer, which is this carrier, sorry I missed that, okay, and he fills it with fire from the altar. So imagine you're in your backyard and you've got your coals on your George Foreman all fired up, okay? He takes some really hot coals out of the altar, okay? Some burning, 
divine coals, and he throws them upon the earth uh, in judgment. Right? And we're going to see that play out in these seven trumpets. Okay, so uh, if I've lost you in all of that language, okay, here's the idea. The six trumpets, all right, shockingly and surprisingly, okay, are the answers to the prayers of God's persecuted and oppressed people. That's the first thing they are. All right, we're going to read through this and we're going to see some really, really terrible, rough stuff. But the, the first thing they are, they are answered prayers. And this brings us to kind of a, uh, a very minor application, but something very important to remember, okay? Uh, we live in America uh, being persecuted or killed for our faith is not our context. We don't understand what it's like. We don't get it, all right? And um, we, we will struggle with this. We will struggle with uh, God pouring out judgment on a wicked world in vengeance for his people because we've never been persecuted. Uh, we don't understand what it's like. Uh, but just, just so you know, uh, our situation in America, though it's been yours your whole life, is not the norm for the church. Uh, if you read church history, uh, many, perhaps most Christians who have lived in church history have been Christians at the cost of their livelihood and lives. You can go to hundreds of places in the world right now where Christians are routinely murdered, raped, sold into slavery. Right? And the Bible commands us, and these Christians, many of them are practicing, they're forgiving their enemies, right? they're trusting the Lord, they're looking to him, but a part of the reason they're doing this is because Romans 12 says, never seek vengeance. Why? Because the Lord says, vengeance is mine. All right? So throughout history, Christians have been killed, tortured, murdered, and they have entrusted themselves to God. And finally here, in this last stage of human history, God is going to give them justice. Okay? Uh, but notice couple things for your personal life uh, if you are a believer in Jesus. First, uh, if these trumpets, all right, if these crazy things that are going to happen are answers to prayer, right, if they are answers to the prayers of Christians throughout the ages, that means that all of these scary end times things are for you and not against you. You have nothing to fear from what's here. And in fact, uh, if you've been following along with us, uh, last week we talked about how the church is sealed and safe in the end times. And in fact, God, just like he did in Egypt, right, divinely protects his people in the midst of world-shattering judgment. Um, and if you have nothing to fear from the crazy stuff in Revelation 8 and 9, then you really don't have anything to fear, right? If if a third of the world being set on fire, which is going to happen in just a second, we'll see it, okay? If that and all of the chaos and economic crisis that would bring uh, is not is something that you don't have to fear, in fact, something that God's going to use for you and protect you from and for your good, all right, then your greatest fear is nothing to fear, right? Uh, disease, waking up tomorrow with a debilitating injury, a life of singleness or a life in a bad marriage, right? Those are not things... That you should fear. Um, finally, uh, if God cares so much 
about justice being done for his people, that he is willing to set the world on fire for them, literally. Um, then just know that justice will be done for you. Now, there's some of us in here, uh, like myself, okay, who don't really have a lot of hurt in their background. I haven't been, people haven't really hurt or wronged me much in my life. I'm sure that will happen at some point. Uh, but there are people in this room right now, uh, whether they can smile it off or not, okay, who have been really hurt by people, uh, been really wounded by people in their lives. And um, there are a lot of temptations when you get wounded and hurt. I haven't experienced them, but, I, but I, I've heard about this. So if I'm wrong, just forgive me for speaking wrongly. But uh, there's, there's a great te- temptation towards vengeance or towards seeing justice done in this life or to doing something, something to just feel different, to have it not happen, to erase it. And this passage tells us, okay, that if you're a Christian who's been hurt, whose life has been drastically altered by the evil of another, that justice will be done for you. You can leave it in the hands of God. It's not wrong to long for justice. It's just wrong to take it into your own hands. Okay, the trumpets are answered prayers. Next, we will see that they are dreadful but loving warnings. Probably the most amazing thing about this passage that we'll see in a few minutes is that God does two things with these trumpets, not just one. Uh, The second thing he's doing, out of his desire, like 1 Timothy says, for all people to be saved, he is warning humanity that if they continue in sin, there is a worse judgment coming, just like he did in Egypt with Pharaoh. So we're going to walk through the trumpets really quickly and talk through how they function as warnings. So uh, the best evidence that uh, these trumpets depict some end period of human history, right, uh, that they haven't already happened yet. Some people interpret Revelation like everything's already happened. Okay, the best evidence they uh, depict some future events is because um, the world has never seen anything like this. Uh, Nothing we've experienced in human history comes close to one of these things. Any one of these things happen and just the ability to even have civilization falls apart, okay? So we'll, we'll, just, uh, we'll just look through them, all right? So first, first trumpet, look at verse 7, okay? First trumpet. First angel blows his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown upon the earth, and a third of all trees are burned up, and all green grass was burned up. This is uh, parallel to the seventh plague in Egypt, uh, where there was a hail and fire storm thrown on all the Egyptian crops and cities, Okay. Uh, But this is a much bigger version of that. A third, a third of the entire earth is burnt up. You know, we've, uh, if you've been watching the news, there have been some really terrible wildfires in California. I've been blown away that in America, a hundred people were just killed, or a little bit more than a hundred, I think, by uh, forest fires. And thousands and thousands are now literally fire refugees. They have nowhere to go. Their homes have been destroyed. But I looked at an article last week and just trying to get a feel for, like, how big was this fire. And uh, it told me in the last five years, okay, in the last five years, including all the craziness that just happened uh, and all the other wildfires we've had in the last five years, 5.4% of California's forests have been burned up, all right? Just 5%, all right? And all of San Francisco was in haze, right? Uh, this particular trumpet, which probably sends some kind of terrible storm on the earth, okay, knocks out a third of all the Earth's Earth's forests in an instant. This would be like a nation-ending, economy-ending kind of thing. 
Uh, millions of people would die. We'd almost immediately be in a place where there's no food. Uh, it would be horrible. Okay. Second trumpet, verse 8. Second angel blows his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea. Third of the sea becomes blood, and third of the ships destroyed, third of the sea creatures destroyed. Is this a meteor? I don't know. I don't think it really matters what it is. Uh, it plagues, uh, it par- sorry, it parallels the first plague in Egypt where Moses turned the Nile into blood. Um, but it, it's just, again, economically, ecologically devastating. I, I read this uh, Tom Clancy book one time called Sahara. Good read. Yeah, pretty good, you know, for, for like a Tom Clancy novel. Anyways, uh, the whole plot of the book was centered on an evil terrorist who wanted to cause a worldwide red tide. He was going to send some really destructive kind of algae that would literally take over uh, the, the, the world's oceans, kill all the life, affect millions of people. Well, this, this kind of thing actually happens. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, in a Roman context, this book was written, again, in the, the context of the Roman Empire, uh, Rome lived on the seas. Their entire empire was built on sea commerce. And so the idea of a third of the seas being inaccessible or destroyed would utterly wreck the Roman Empire. Third plague, or third trumpet, um, a great star, this is verse 10, great star falls from heaven, falls on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, which means bitterness. Third of the earth's waters become poisonous. Um, again, I read this uh, post-apocalyptic book in college called The Parable of the Sower. Really interesting, but uh, it, it describes this, uh, it's kind of like one of those uh, climate apocalypse novels where uh, climate change destroys nations. But anyways, uh, there's no water left in America. That's kind of the premise. And uh, to get water, you have to walk to a water station where they would sell you water for $50 a gallon. Uh, And there would be machine guns there uh, to shoot people who stole the water. That's how it was described. Uh, Just a world we can't imagine. I think that's the kind of devastation we're talking about if a third of the world's fresh waters become poison. Fourth, third of the sky and sun and stars are struck. Again, this is directly parallel to the ninth plague in Egypt where the kingdom is thrown into darkness. This might not seem so bad after what has come, uh, but I bet if you moved to Alaska next winter and spent 20 to 22 hours a day in darkness, you might reconsider that. There's something about the world being dark. Uh, Okay, so far, first four trumpets have been dreadful, kind of like out of The Walking Dead or something like that. Uh, Every foundation for civilization is shaken. Millions of people are dead. Um, But what comes next is particularly horrible, and I think even John wants us to see that. Look at verse 13. We hear a woe pronounced to those who dwell on the earth. Uh, Great sadness and horror is coming in what comes next. And there's a transition here, which is really interesting. Um, We go from the first four trumpets are things that happen to all of creation, right? Forest fires are all of creation. Uh, Water's being turned bitter, all of creation. Next, we're moving into particular judgments against those people uh, who do not name the name of Jesus, who are left on the earth and who are oppressing and killing God's people. And these judgments are demonic in nature, which we'll see, okay? Look at, uh, look at uh, chapter 9, now verse 1, okay? The fifth angel blows his trumpet. There is a star fallen from heaven to earth. 
Uh, that is a description later used in Revelation 12 of the devil himself. So it's the devil. He opens the key to the bottomless pit. It comes up. I think that's, that's, a, that's hell. Okay, he opens that up. All right, and out of the pit, in verse 3, came locust upon the earth. All right, uh, again, uh, the locust plague, I believe that was the tenth plague. No, sorry. Not the, I th- yeah, locust plague was the tenth plague in Egypt, okay? Um, but I think the, the main reason they're described as locusts is to remind us we're talking about Egypt. But notice these locusts are not ordinary locusts. Locusts typically destroy vegetation. In verse 4, they're told not to harm the grass, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Verses 5 and 6 tell us that they do not kill people, but they torment them. Verses 7 to 11 are probably some of the hardest in Revelation to kind of understand why they're there, but they describe these horrible, probably demonic beings. Uh, I think the description is meant to just make you feel like this is gross. They're like war horses, which are really fearsome. Their heads, this is verse 7, sorry, they have crowns of gold, they have human faces, they have women's hair and lion's teeth. If you're like, man, that's kind of weird. I think that's the point. I think that the point is that these are grotesque creatures, right? Um, And uh, verses 10 and 11 highlight just how painful their torment is. Uh, They have tails and stings like scorpions. Uh, Scorpions were famous in the Middle East, not for... The, the fact that they were deadly, but their pain, their, their stings were incredibly painful. And it's so bad that people will seek death and not find it. Uh, if you have been in a church tradition that teaches you that these locusts are like Apache helicopters or something, okay, uh, that's, I've, I've heard that before. Uh, verse 11 tells us pretty, pretty clearly they're, they're demonic beings. They have a king over them. The angel of bottomless pit, his name is Abaddon. In Greek, he's called Apollyon. He's the devil. All right, so that's the fifth trumpet. One more. It brings us the death of a third of mankind, the final plague in Egypt, the one that actually made Pharaoh release God's people, was the death of the firstborn child. It's the final plague. And here, this almost final trumpet is the death of one-third of mankind. If you guys have questions about the details, uh, we can go there. The room feels pretty heavy, so we don't need to dive in too much. But here's the worst part about the passage. Here's the craziest part. You guys might be like, man, how does it get worse? Look at verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. They did not repent of their murders or sorceries or sexual moralities or their thefts. Even after all of that, humanity will not change. So let's, uh, let's see. I'm going to give two truths from these trumpets and then uh, a couple of applications. So uh, the first truth, all right, that I think might help us to swallow uh, the truth in this passage, okay, is that these trumpets are final warnings, all right? They're final warnings. Just notice, why in the world would John include verses about mankind not repenting 
unless the whole purpose of the trumpets was to cause these people finally to repent. That's the reason. So this, this might seem really dreadful and horrible, okay? But this is a mercy in a sense. God, God is doing this to a world that has, re, has rejected every other means of their repentance. God is doing this to say, hey, listen, you think this is bad. What is coming is worse. Turn now. Let me give you an example um, that, that may help you understand this. Now, I'm a parent. You guys, uh, most of you guys in here, I don't think are parents, but you've all been parented, okay? And maybe you have experiences like that, okay? Let me, let me tell you how me and Sarah attempt to parent and how I think uh, God in his fatherly goodness parents us, okay? We, again, as I'm describing this, this is what we try to do and fail many times, uh, but here's what we do. Uh, the foundation of our parenting uh, is love and affection, all right? We, we, want our, we want our children to know that we delight in them. Like, I will do things with my children that would embarrass me to do in public. We have tickle fights. We sing. We have dance parties, okay? We watch Frozen all the time, all right? <laughs> like, like, like I, my, my, my kid brings me this, like, this, this painting, this just green marker just scribbled on everything she's, you know. I'm like, this is wonderful. Thank you so much, you know? Uh, but we want, we, want, we want our children to know, if anything, right, that we delight in them, that we accept them, that we embrace them, okay? The second foundation is instruction, all right? We don't want my daughter uh, to learn about the badness of a sassy attitude when she's doing it. We, w- we want to teach her, right? We're instructing our children, telling them about life all the time. Um, and when discipline stuff happens, right, when rebellion happens, because my, my children are little pagans, right? They rebel a lot, okay? Um, <laughs> Uh, the, the first thing we do is we verbally warn them, right? We tell them, you need to stop this. You need to apologize. You need to turn away, right? Like, we, we, maybe, maybe, maybe we're having a really bad day. We might warn them two or three times, okay? Only, all right, only when everything we've done for our children, when all of the love and affection and all of the instruction and all of the warning, when all of that is just, I don't care about any of that, and I'm just, give me what I want, Right? When that, the only time we spank our children is when they're there, okay? When none of the love, none of the instruction, none of the pleadings have done anything. When their hearts are so hard and so obstinate, they won't listen to anything else. And I think that is what these trumpets are, right? God has already spoken to humanity through creation, right? Like C.S. Lewis said, he's already whispered, right? The most evil people in the world wake up and enjoy fresh air, and get sleep at night, and eat delicious food. God is speaking through the world we live in. I love you. I long for you. I'm good. Mankind, as Romans 1 says, has rejected that, right? He doesn't just whisper, right? He speaks very clearly. He's given people consciences, consciences, okay? Um, people know when they do right and wrong. They have a sense. Everybody walks around guilty all the time, right? Um, He's given moral law. He's he's given the scriptures. And more than that, he's spoken to us in his son, Jesus. God became a man, right? And the world rejected him. And so the question is, what else can God do? And the last thing he does here, after all the affection, after all the tender kindness, after all the speaking, right? He brings out the megaphones. One more chance for repentance and so this passage is really hard and it's kind of against our sensibilities but at the root of this is God's desire for all people to be saved God's desire for wicked people to turn from their ways he does not delight 
in the death of the wicked, like Ezekiel says. And these, uh, these judgments are kind of hand-tailored to help people see the folly of their sin. Just notice, in most of Revelation 9, it is demons that torture and harm humanity. And in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 20, it's demons that humanity worships. The idea is, man, listen, the trumpets are saying to people, the stuff that you worship will destroy you. That's what trumpets are meant to do. Think about this in an American context. What do Americans worship? We worship entertainment, pleasure, comfort, and money, right? What would setting the world on fire do, right? What would destroying our, our economy in one fell swoop do? It would tell us, hey, listen, money and entertainment and pleasure and fun will not save you. That's the idea here. Um, and finally, uh, and this is going to be maybe the, the lowest note of this lesson, we see a picture in this passage of human nature. Uh, I think uh, in America, in our age, we tend to assume uh, the basic goodness of human nature. You've probably, you've probably seen like someone say, well, no one's perfect, but, right? A little phrase like, nobody's perfect, but, you know, no, 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 no. Like the idea is we're all basically good. Okay, and we've all got some flaws, maybe some sniffy ones, but we're good with some flaws. This passage reminds us that humanity in general, apart from the intervening grace of Jesus, is insanely, and I mean that in the most, you know, they're irrationally in love with sin. They rebel against God. They get the, they get, uh, the result of rebellion against God, consequences, and then they get mad at God because of the consequences of their rebellion, and they keep rebelling. That's humanity, according to this passage. And um, in any group this size, okay, there are, there are a few, all right, who are holding on to the same thing these poor people in Revelation 9.20 are holding on to. They are refusing to repent. They are, just notice here, uh, John does not care where the people on earth are on a Sunday morning. He's not talking about who they say they are. He's not talking about what they call themselves. All right? He's talking about what they worship and their refusal to stop worshiping created things and start worshiping the creator. And in this room, it is very possible there are people who name the name of Jesus, who are present, who are around, but who have refused to repent. They are trying to be righteous before God on their own. They might say they love Jesus, but what they really love are money and comfort and pleasure. And God loves you enough to give you a really sharp warning about the consequences of staying that way. Jesus Christ, who in verse, who chapter 8, verse 1, who opens the seventh seal, who brings all this pain into the world, who's brought pain into your life, right? He has done it so that you will repent and find life. He is standing here this morning welcoming you, right? If you just come, the things you're holding on to will destroy you. Come to Jesus. Turn to him. And if you've done that, I think uh, one thing that might be helpful to you is to think about, again, what Jesus has saved you from. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says that Jesus has delivered us from the wrath that is to come. Um, 
There's a story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe about a boy named Edmund. He's one of four siblings brought into this magical land called Narnia. First thing he does is betray his family. And uh, in that land, when you betray your family, this evil person is allowed to kill you. And the hero of the story, Aslan, who represents Jesus, okay, switches place with Edmund, right? He takes the death that Edmund deserves. Uh, Edmund doesn't see that happen. He just knows that he gets delivered. Later on in the book, his sister Lucy is like, shouldn't we tell Edmund what happened? Shouldn't we tell him that Aslan died for him? And uh, his, his older sister Susan replied, oh, oh, no, that would be too awful for him. He wouldn't be able to handle it. And um, there's a sense in which we all walk around like Edmund, right? And we know that Jesus died for us, and we understand that. But we have not really thought about what he bore, which is reflected in this passage, right? And what he's delivered us from. And I don't, I'm not saying we live here, but I think occasionally a great source of contentment and gratitude in your life will be thinking about what Jesus delivered you from. When you are delivered from the wrath of God, when you meditate on the fact that God did not have to rescue you, right? That he chose because he loves you to pull you out of this, right? It's, you can be content with a job you don't love, right? You can be okay with some struggles if you're delivered from God's wrath. Okay, so after hearing uh, all of these judgments, my guess is there are a variety of heavy feelings in this room. That's okay. I think it's appropriate in some regards. Uh, But I'd like to close just by suggesting another way we can respond uh, to what we've learned in these trumpets, okay? Uh, Consider the wonder and mystery and wisdom of a God who in, in one set of trumpets can both answer the prayers of his people and warn the wicked of judgment. Think about that. Think about the wisdom of God. He, he can do both. He takes these crazy end times judgment that everyone's scared of, okay? And he's doing, he's doing two very different things. He's answering the prayers for justice that his people have prayed through the centuries because of, their, because of the people who've killed them. And he's offering one more chance to the people who killed them. Isn't that crazy? Think about the love of Jesus there. Maybe it will help you cry out with Paul in Romans 12, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. Let's pray. Lord, uh, just thank you for this passage and that in Revelation we've heard a lot of things we don't normally hear uh, from the scriptures, and I pray you'd uh, help us to, as we see this and as it's heavy, that help us respond to you in ways that please you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.